Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Today's listener-led episode is part three of the Needling for Beginners series. Former hemodialysis nurse Katie Fielding joins me to answer your questions about hemodialysis needling. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good, thank you, Dee. I hope you're well. I'm good, I'm good. I'm really looking forward to today's interview. Today is part three of the Needling for Beginners series And today is actually a listener-led episode. So all of the questions that I will be asking today were sent in by you, the listener. So you're in charge today. I'm following your lead. And for anybody who hasn't yet caught part one, which is Needling for Beginners, please do check out Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast episode 67, where I speak with Katie and she shares amazing information to help people navigate their dialysis journey. So yes, please do check out that episode if you haven't yet already. And also there's part two of the Needling for Beginners series and this features Dan who shares his kidney warrior story and focuses on needling from a patient's perspective. So yes, so that's part one and part two of the Needling for Beginners series so far. So that's episode 67 with Katie and episode 90 with Dan. So I'm going to start with the first question. Our first question comes from Eleanor on Instagram and Eleanor asks, do the holes heal stroke close at all between sessions? The short answer to that is yes, they do. When you are putting the needles into a fistula or a graft, even if it's a graft which is artificial material, it's surrounded by your normal tissue and your normal skin, which will heal. So yes, they do. There is a slight difference if you are using the buttonhole technique, because with the buttonhole technique, you go in exactly the same place each time. And the idea is that you develop a track of scar tissue to the vessel, which is a bit like an ear piercing, where you then have a track to put the needle down. Now, that doesn't mean that that track is completely exposed each time you remove the needle. If you're using a fistula, then the vein itself where the needle goes in will actually heal up. So it will seal and you end up with a scab over where that track of scar tissue is. So it's not completely open. And if you were to leave that site alone, eventually it would heal up properly. Whenever you put a needle in, it does eventually heal. But with buttonhole cannulation, because we're putting the needles in regularly, you end up with this track inside your arm that helps us guide the needles into the fistula. 
with graphs, they're slightly different because obviously it's an artificial piece of material. So within the UK, that's why we don't recommend buttonholing graphs. We only buttonhole fistulas. Our next question comes from Anonymous on Instagram. This person didn't want to be identified and so we respect their wishes. And their question is, what is the protocol for nursing staff on a unit? Do they have to have specific training? Okay, so I'm presuming, Dee, from that question that we're talking about cannulation. So this is about cannulation protocols. So then when the needles go in at the beginning of dialysis. So in terms of protocols, whether they actually have protocols on their unit and what they are is normally set locally by the hospital. So the majority of renal units will actually have their own protocol for needling rather than there being one single national protocol for needling. Particularly with needling, this has led to a lot of variation between different renal centres. So if you look at different protocols from different renal centres across the UK for needling, you will find that there's actually quite a bit of variation between protocols. There can be variation about the different techniques they use. And when I'm talking about techniques, I'm talking about whether they use buttonhole technique or rope ladder technique, whether they limit those techniques to certain people or whether they don't use one of those techniques at all. So there can be huge variation in that. There can be variation in things like what they actually clean the fistula with, what type of local anesthesia they might use to actually numb the sites before the needles go in, how they actually put the needles in and take them out. So there can be quite a lot of variation in those local protocols. Some of the work that I've been involved in, which originally started with the British Renal Society and the Vascular Access Society of Britain and Ireland, was actually looking at how we promote a little bit more consistency in needling for haemodialysis, because actually that variation between different units is not necessarily a good thing. And it means that not all units are doing what we think is best practice. So one of the projects we did with those organisations and those projects are actually still active because even though the British Renal Society doesn't exist anymore, the Association of Nephrology Nurses UK has taken over the work that they were doing and supporting us with this. And we did a lot of work back in 2016, 2017, 2018, where we actually looked at creating a set of national recommendations around needling for haemodialysis. And that's actually designed to try and promote that a bit more consistency between protocols for needling between different renal units. And that was actually what we call a consensus document where we went around and we involved a number of different nurses from different renal centres and actually worked out what we all agreed was the right practice and also worked out when there is variation, if that is okay. So what is okay to vary and what things you need to have to have good needling practice. Those recommendations were released back in 2018 and the managing access by generating improvements in cannulation project, which is the magic project, was all around promoting those recommendations for renal centres and getting them to actually implement it on their haemodialysis unit. So there was an education package that went with that. And there was also a competency document as well to sort of try and standardise that practice. So we do now have a national competency document for needling as well. 
However, the challenge with all of those things is that local renal centres don't necessarily have an obligation to actually implement it in practice. We can encourage it, but we can't actually say this is what everyone has to do. So you may still find that regardless of those national documents, there's still some variation out there between local protocols. So I'm hoping that answers the question and makes sense. The fact that there isn't a completely enforced, is that the right word? Standard practice, but definitely a lot of work towards making sure that there is that consistent quality of care across different units. So yeah, so it's something that we encourage and I think it's something that's relatively easy to encourage in that most people work in healthcare so that they can do the best they can for their patients. So if they know that's the best practice, then they'll want to follow it. But it's not something that we can actually enforce within renal centres and make them do. So there might be some local variation there. Do patients, sorry guys, this isn't actually a question on the listener-led list, so I'm a bit naughty here, but I think you might appreciate me adding this question. So do patients have access to that standardised practice document? They do, yes. We did do some work with patients. First of all, we had a patient representative who we talked to about the content of the recommendations. First of all, to kind of make sure that there wasn't anything within them that was unacceptable for patients that we'd missed or we'd not thought about. But the recommendations are actually nationally available on the VASB website, which is vasb.org. So you can get hold of the recommendations there, the competency documents on there as well. And we did used to have them on the British Renal Society website, but that was closed down about a year ago when it merged with the UK Kidney Association. And because UK, the Association of Nephrology Nurses, has taken over that work, They are looking at putting them on their website, but I'm aware that they're not there yet. So the best place to go right now is the VASB website. So we'll put the link for the VASB website in the description box. So anybody looking for it will be able to access it there. The next question is from Instagram again, and it is, people say you get used to it. Is that due to time, where in speech marks or mental sensitization? So this is an interesting question because this is a question that's actually come up in my research that I've been doing. So we do have some findings related to this. And actually, it's probably a combination of all of those things because people do very much say that they become used to needling. But what does that actually mean? Now, within the research that I've been doing, we've found that there are a few things that actually contribute to this becoming used to needling. The first thing that people actually talk about is that they become more familiar with the needling procedure. So they become more aware of what to expect, which helps them become used to it. And then it becomes easier to deal with because it's not such an alien and different procedure for them. It's something that becomes normal. It's also a case as well that when you first start being needled, it can be quite difficult to actually get the needles in consistently. And that can be for a number of reasons. It can be because the vessel is quite small and it gets bigger over time. It can also just be the fact that no one is familiar with actually how to needle your fistula in the best way and we need to work that out. So also what tends to happen is over time, 
the needling becomes more consistent and it becomes more predictable. And what that actually means is as it becomes more consistent and more predictable, it actually takes a shorter amount of time to put the needles in. So the amount of time that you're in pain becomes less and also it becomes slightly less painful because it is easier to get those needles in. You also then get scar tissue building up, which a lot of people say reduces the sensation of the needles going in. But then in my research, what I have found is a lot of patients have said to me that the needling doesn't actually become less painful. It's more that they become used to it in that they become familiar with it. They know what to expect and they become confident that the pain is going to be short lived. So it makes it easier for them to get through. So it is a combination of the needling becoming slightly less painful, but you also becoming used to the pain and then you can get through that. Does that make sense? Yes. For want of a better example, it's a bit like childbirth in the sense that the first time you have a baby, speaking personally, that level of pain is a complete shock to the system. And then the next time around, I don't believe the pain was any less, but I coped with it a lot better because I knew what to expect the second time around. So when you become used to something, you know what to expect. It's less of a shock and you cope with it better. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I have had patients when I've been doing interviews with them for my research who said exactly that sort of thing in that the first time they have the needles in the level of pain, they don't know what to expect, which creates a lot of anxiety and almost makes the pain worse. And like you say, quite a shock. But then once they have it again and again and again, it's almost like they learn what to expect from it. And then they learn that They also get confident and they learn that they can deal with it as well. Our next question comes from Rachel on Facebook and Rachel asks, why do we have long and short needles and different sizes? Okay, so the main reason for that really is because everyone is different and there tends to be two things that are different that dictate what type of needle you have, whether it's a long or short one, whether it's a smaller one or a large one. The first thing that can dictate it is actually the size of the vessel that we're actually putting the needle into. And some people will have very small veins and you probably know yourself when you're having blood tests and things. Some people it's much easier to get blood from than others. And the same can happen, particularly with fistulas some of them develop into bigger veins than others. So some of it is about what the fistula actually needs. And it's not just the size of the fistula, it can also be how deep the fistula is in your actual arms or in your legs. So if the fistula is very deep, then we need to use the longer needles. If the fistula is quite shallow, we can use the shorter needles. Quite often, the shorter the needle, the better because the easier it is to get it in the right place. But if the actual vein is too far away from the surface of the skin for a short needle, then that's when we have to use a longer needle. The other thing that also dictates particularly the size of needle that you use is how much dialysis you need. Because some people will need lots of dialysis and often the blood flow rate, what we call the blood flow rate that we get out of the needles that we put into your fistula, can dictate how much dialysis you have. And the higher the blood flow rate, 
the more of your blood we dialyze and the better dialysis you get. It's a little bit more complicated, but to keep it simple, that's what people really need to know. So sometimes if people need more dialysis, we might put them on bigger needles. And sometimes if people are getting enough dialysis, we can leave them on the smaller needles. So that's why. And again, in general, if we can use the smaller needles, it's slightly better for your fistula long term. But for you personally, if you need more dialysis, it's better to use the bigger needles so we can get that higher flow rate. Our next question comes from Joanna on Instagram. And Joanna asks, is it important to needle in different places? So that's a little bit of a complex question, but I'll explain it. So there are three different needling techniques that you can have, which is all about where we put the needles each time we come to needle you. So it's about the position of them. And when we talk about buttonhole technique, rope ladder technique and area puncture technique, that's what we're talking about. Whilst it might affect how the needles actually put on for that hemodialysis session, It's about how we plan where we actually put the needle and which of those techniques will dictate whether we go in a different place or go in the same place. Now, I'll explain buttonhole technique first because that's the easiest one to explain in that with buttonhole technique, you go in exactly the same place each time they put the needles in and you develop what we call needling sites. Now, majority of patients who are on buttonhole technique have just two needling sites for each of their needles to go in. But there are some patients who might have three or four needling sites, particularly if they dialyze five or six times a week because the sites can get quite sore. But that's still buttonhole technique. They just don't use the sites every single time. They rotate which of the sites they use. But when they needle them, they needle them in exactly the same manner. Now, the idea is with buttonhole technique that it reduces the damage to your fistula from the actual needling, which is one of the reasons why it's developed. And because we're going in exactly the same place each time, we develop that track of scar tissue that I've talked about. There's a scab that we have to remove before we put the needles in. And then we can sometimes go on to what we call dull needles or blunt needles because we don't have to have the sharp needle to push through the skin because we've already got that track developed. And buttonhole technique is where you go in the same place each time. So because that is a good technique, you don't necessarily have to go in a different place each time. However, one of the other techniques you can use is something called rope ladder. And rope ladder is pretty much what it says on the tin, where basically the idea is that you put needles in up the vessel And you move up the vessel like a rope ladder. So you move systematically up the vessel. And if you have that type of needling technique, then it is important that we go in a different place each time. Because actually for rope ladder to work and for rope ladder to minimise the damage to the fistula, you need to move over quite a significant distance on the vessel, if that makes sense. So you can't go in a similar place each time. Now, what often happens with rope ladder is people do like to go in a similar place each time where they only move the needle sites over an inch or two. But that's not actually rope ladder. That turns into something called area puncture. And one of the problems we have with area puncture is 
that we found that that does the most damage to your fistula or to your graft when we're using it. So we try to avoid that. And some of the work that we've done through the needling recommendations and through magic has been around reducing the amount that we do area puncture and actually promoting people to do rope ladder or to do buttonhole if that's the right thing for the patient. Okay. So if you're on buttonhole technique, you will end up going in the same place each time. But because of how we do that technique, it minimizes the damage to the vessel. However, if you are on rope ladder, we need to use as many different places as we can, because the more we do that, the more we actually minimize the damage to the fistula. Because with rope ladder, if we don't use enough places, we use area puncture, which we know does more damage to the fistula or to the graft. So I hope that makes sense. And we also talked about this in episode 67 in part one as well. So do listen to that as well. But no, fabulous answer. Thank you. The next question comes from Jan on Facebook and Jan says, what happens and why when it blows? I know, but the amount of newbies that panic, an explanation might be beneficial. So thank you for that question. That's a really important question. And actually, again, through my research, we've been able to find that blows when they first happen to people on dialysis can be quite traumatic. A lot of that is because people don't actually understand what's going on. And I actually think the name that we use, blows, is not helpful because it's quite a dramatic name and it makes it sound worse than it actually was. I do remember when I was a new hemodialysis nurse many, many years ago that I, for the first six months I was putting needles in, I didn't understand what a blow was and I was really concerned that this might be that the vein or the arm had exploded and that's not what happens at all with a blow. So basically all that happens when you have a blow on a fistula or a graft is when we try to put the needle into the vein, sometimes the needle can go into the vein, but then it can go right through and come out the back of the vein. So actually the tip of the needle is actually sitting in the tissues rather than sitting in the vein. Okay. Now, what then happens is you often get a lot of pain and a lot of bruising from a blow because the blood that was in the fistula then leaks out into your tissues. And if the needle is actually, if anything's being pushed into the needles, it will be pushed into your tissues. Now, whilst it can be quite traumatic, because it's your tissues, and as we've talked about, your tissues will heal you generally recover from a blow very well. And I think what a lot of patients are very concerned about when it first happens is because they get a lot of bruising and because they get a lot of pain, they are concerned that their arm or their leg won't recover from it and that their fistula or their graft will not be okay. Now, for the majority of blows that people have, it will heal up very quickly and return to normal very quickly. And it won't do any damage to your fistula or your graft at all. And some of the monitoring that we do on hemodialysis when we look at your pressures and things like that is about detecting that blow because the quicker we detect the blow, the more we can do something about it. In very, very, very rare circumstances, the blow can cause damage to your fistula or graft, which means that you might need to go for a procedure but that is very, very rare. 
that is something that does not happen very often at all. The majority of the time you will recover from the blow quite quickly. And whilst it will be quite painful, that pain will ease off quite quickly and the bruising will settle down quite quickly and it will all return back to normal. So I hope as well, whilst I can't tell you that with the blow, everything will be fine and it's not painful, I'm hoping that it's reassuring just to hear what's actually going on in a blow and that actually you will recover from it as well. Our next question comes again from Facebook and the question is, some say a chest line is in the heart, others say next to the heart. Which is it? The term that I often use is that it sits in the blood vessel, but of course all of your blood vessels eventually connect up to your heart because your heart is your pump that pushes your blood around your body. So when we put a line in, what we actually do is we aim to get that line into one of the blood vessels that feeds down into the heart. So it's one of your main blood vessels. And the reason why we aim to get it into that blood vessel is because it's a very big blood vessel and it gives us good flows for your hemodialysis. What then happens is you have this line that's sitting in this blood vessel that's going down towards your heart. And what we aim to have is we aim to have the tip of that line sitting just as that blood vessel enters your heart, if that makes sense. So it sits just above your heart and we normally do an x-ray when you've had the line put in to check that it's in the right position. Okay, so it doesn't sit beside your heart and it doesn't sit in your heart, but it sits in one of the blood vessels that goes into your heart. It goes right down and sits just above the top of your heart. Now, there can be some variation between the types of different lines that are used in different renal centres and some of those protocols that we've talked about. That means that there might be slight variation in terms of where the tip of that line actually sits. But I'm hoping that just answers the question and explains a little bit in terms of where it's actually sitting in your anatomy. Our next question comes again from Facebook and the question is, you can come off partway through to say, have a wee, but how is this done? This is done by a procedure that's often called recirculation. And actually what's more important is what we do with the dialysis machine than with your vascular access. Because with your vascular access, what we can actually do is just disconnect you flush the needles or the line, you can go off to the toilet and then we can reconnect you when you come back. But what we have to do with the machine to stop the blood clotting in the machine, we have to keep it moving. So all dialysis machines have some sort of procedure that's sometimes called recirculation, sometimes called bypass, where we have a small plastic tube that we can use to connect up the two lines that are normally connected to your needles which creates a big circle which your blood sits in. And then there's a function on the machine that you can use where it keeps the blood moving around the circuit without actually doing any dialysis. So that there are no clots that form at that point in time. And then when you come back from the toilet, we can reconnect you and just carry on your treatment as it was before. And a lot of the manufacturers have designed this function so that it almost suspends your dialysis where it was when we disconnected you and then restarts it at the same point when we connect you back up. 
And all we do is just keep the blood moving in between time to stop it clotting. And our final question comes from Simon on Facebook. And Simon asks, what can the patient do to help other than staying still? So there is lots of things that patients can do to help the needling procedure. I think, if I remember rightly, but Dee, you'll probably know better. Often you will get asked when you have a new fistula or a new graft to do exercises on that fistula or graft. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast. And actually, those exercises are really important to make the fistula or graft as good as it possibly can be so that when we come to put needles into it, it's not small, it's not difficult to get the needles in, but we can get them in much more easier. It makes our life easier in terms of the people putting the needles in, but it also makes it a lot easier for you guys as the patients because it means that if the needle insertion is easier, it's less painful, it's less traumatic, it takes less time all of those sorts of things. So that's one of the things that you can do. It's also very important, we've talked about the risk of infection. So it's very important to keep your fistula and your graft clean in between dialysis sessions. And we also often talk to you about how you can look after your fistula or graft to keep it healthy in between dialysis sessions, which is important. But then also as well, one of the things that can be really helpful from my perspective as a hemodialysis nurse, is if you as a patient understand how is the best way to needle your fistula, it can help me when I'm putting the needles in. And again, this is something that's come up in my research in that patients have often talked about learning how the nurse puts their needles in so that they can help guide them if they're having problems putting their needles in. And one of the reasons why that's helpful for me as a nurse is that when I'm on a shift on the hemodialysis unit, I might have to needle eight to 16 people every day. And what then starts to happen is by the time I come back to your fistula or your graft, I've not remembered which is the best way to needle it. And what I always say to nurses when I'm talking about how this is a good thing and how they need to encourage their patients to do this is the only single person that is there for every single time that you have needles in is you. So you become the expert in terms of what is the best way to needle your fistula and get your needles in successfully. And when I'm talking to nurses about it, I encourage them to see that as a helpful thing and something that will help guide them put the needles in. Now, not everyone can do that because some people just find the needle insertion too difficult. So it is about what you can do as a patient and what you can manage and what you can tolerate. And if you find that too difficult because you have a needle phobia or you find getting through the needling too difficult and you need to not watch it or you need to think about something else, then that is absolutely fine. But if you can do that, it's something that can help make your needling a little bit easier and a little bit more predictable for you as well. And we're not always very good as healthcare professionals are actually volunteering information about your needling. So please don't be scared to ask us questions if you want to know a little bit more about it as well. Thank you so much for joining me today and for answering the questions sent in by the listeners. Yesterday was our listener-led episode, which was part three of the Needling for Beginners series. Thank you so much for answering those questions. I've learned so much today from what you've shared and I know 
this will help so many people out there. So thank you so much. Thank you. And they were really good questions. They're ones that I know a lot of people have when they first start needling. So thank you for the questions. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.